Hi there, everybody. Dr. Paul for Men's Psychology, Men's Psychology Magazine, menspsychology.substack.com. I have with me, uh, again, the illustrious uh, Jeremy Fox, uh, whom you can also find at Substack at uh, nextlevelpsychology.substack.com. He also uh, runs a, a growing, uh, of growing interest podcast uh, called Sanity and Society. So he's, he's being very active on Spotify um, in, in that region, although he'll also be on this Spotify. Um, yeah. All right. So you can get on Spotify, iTunes, etc. Um, our, anyway. our, our, our teaching center uh, where I'm at is mainly Substack, and then things branch out from there, including to Spotify. So today, uh, Jeremy and I have covered a lot of the 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 new generation psychologies models of psychology and specifically methods of delivering psychology that have been proven to be useful to males whereas in the past uh, the gold standard for all mood problems no matter what your sex is was cognitive behavioral therapy um, some of the new emerging authors out there are actually daring to say cbt doesn't even work for males might as well not even give it to them which makes sense why they don't go to it. <laughs> Did anybody ever think it, uh, males don't are well known to not seek psychotherapy, perhaps because it doesn't help? They tried it and it doesn't help, or they heard through the grapevine that it doesn't help. But these models do. And today we're going to talk about two models that have a lot of similarity with each other. Uh, uh, truth be told, Jeremy and I have not literally trained at these models uh, through a training center, nor do we deliver them as like standalone um, therapies that we do. However, in reviewing the the mechanisms by which they work, we could probably explain to you how to, how to make use of them. And if you mm -hmm. went to a standard therapist today, they probably wouldn't say, I am a cognitive analytic therapist. And they probably wouldn't say, I'm a compassion focused therapist. They would just use these tools eclectically from among their various tools in the tool belt that they have. So these are tools in your tool belt. Let's put it that way. What do you think, Jeremy, starting out before we get to some of the, the meat of the matter? Yeah, well, it's, it's really exciting, as you said, um, that there are some new paths and, and routes being stricken out by um, masculine psychology researchers and theorists. And um, CBT has some some great points. I think people hear therapy, they may shut down. Um, they think that it's going to be expected that they lay all their emotions out immediately. And we just know that on top of that being bad practice to expect it of a client, that that's overwhelming, that these models that we're going to talk about and so many more don't expect that. And they're focused on solutions and of course, empathy, but respect for the client and their capacity to grow and get what they want out of life, which isn't that just what people want from therapy. We've got to improve this messaging. And the, the thing is, there's the, the great news. There are therapeutic models that are doing what people would want. They're just not hearing about them. And that's what we're here to do is to spread that word. I, I, I love it. I, yeah, I, I was listening closely and uh, two things popped out to me. I, the way I, um, translate for myself what you just said is people go to therapy for a reason they want some kind of result the result yes. could be outer my life is better if you look around the, my life is improved but there also could be how do i feel inside you could right. objectively have a better looking life and not feel great or you could feel great which is almost like numbing yourself up. You could feel great, but your life hasn't changed at all. So we probably need right. both somehow um, out do. of a good therapy. And, and these therapies, among the many others that we covered uh, recently, like positive psychology, positive masculinity, these, they can actually absolutely do that. So yes. let's dig in. Cognitive analytic therapy. Um, it is a, a style of therapy that employs this newer, hot, growing field giant field of psychology called evolutionary psychology but it also combines it with another hot and growing field which is attachment theory and jeremy's 
I think, pretty expert at that, more so even than me. And I, I really, my, my exposure to attachment therapy is, um, I, I always feel like, duh, why didn't they do that sooner? Because right. it, it used to be that attachment was just something between mothers and babies. And so if you were going to be an adult treating psychologist or therapist or psychiatrist, you didn't really care if you didn't, don't treat babies and mothers. But of course, what happens between baby and mother also happens between two adult peers who fall yeah. in love with each other. And it, it strangely took until the 1990s for the researchers to start stating that, that attachment actually applies to adults in adult relationships. So they, they cognitive analytic uh, theory and therapy brings in attachment theory, developmental psychology, which is how did I go from child to man in this case? And then evolutionary psychology, which is fantastic. It's, it's probably, I think, the, the most robust field of psychology in terms of the research results are real and right. repeatable and reliable. And you can see them operating in people's behavior more so than, than most other uh, psychology, and especially, especially the soft sciences like sociology, mm -hmm. where the research, you can make it look like whatever you want. Um, evolutionary psychology also, it's worth saying, is best used to understand human instincts. And therefore, as you know, in our models at men's psychology, we, we firmly um, are convinced, and the research is starting to roll, it, roll in supporting this, that... Mm -hmm masculinity is both an energy uh an energy of life freud called it libido uh it's the same as charisma vitality it could be your physical body having vitality um it's mental energy it's emotional well it's not emotional energy but it's the energy of life it's life energy freud's the term libido literally meant life force it didn't mean just sexual uh desire Activity and then life force. And masculinity is that, but it's also a set of specific instincts that are biologically determined. Even though sociology is also real, it is the environment around us, not what's in us. Um, and biology is in us and is very slow to change. It's slow to change at an evolutionary pace of eons tens and hundreds of thousands of years and millions of years. So it's not going away anytime soon. And by and large, masculine instincts in males and feminine instincts in females are universally present in all members of each sex, but are brought out and used, utilized, exercised to varying degrees, depending on what your life has been like so far and what you have encountered. So if, right. if I use terminology in our main coursework, like the Aries instinct, which has been discovered to exist, which is the male instinct to want to fight to win, to win something, to win a prize, to win at sports, to win a contest. How males don't mm -hmm. like if, the, if there's a, a tie as the, com the completion of a sports contest. No, we want right. there to be one winner and one loser. Um, that's a male instinct. I call it the Aries instinct because the Greeks already were onto all of these traits um, and their stories have lasted thousands of years, which brings me to why I also believe that Jungian psychology is maybe a strange bedfellow to evolutionary psychology, but is kind of on the same track. Both are about the unconscious. Jungian psychology right. goes heavy into small details of how does the unconscious work, even more so than Freudian psychoanalysis does. And it makes use of the very storied and beautiful uh, body of human literature and art. Uh, and it, it's the closest thing to art meeting science, I think, is Jungian psychology. So it's, it's, it's enjoyable, beautiful to learn, and yet yields um, parallel principles and findings to what today's science is now starting to see through evolutionary psychology. 
So those two come together in this cognitive analytical therapy. And CAT, for short, uses signs and symbolic tools that are created in the therapy sessions that mitigate a patient's maladapt- maladaptive action patterns. Um, yeah. It uses these other models we mentioned, attachment, evolutionary psychology, in all the ways that interpersonal relationships affect the formation of the person's self, of the boy's self and their dialogue, the dialogue that you have with yourself. So in other words, it, uh, it has a lot in common with studying storytelling and hearing your story as a once a boy who eventually became a man mm-hmm. and how you developed internal structures of talking to yourself about who you are and what you're worth and about self-regulation and how to calm yourself and how to steady yourself when you're you're trying to make things happen in your life and it joins the therapist and, and the patient in creating symbols that that mediate maladaptive patterns in the past. So the, the story aspect of it has to do with um, finding a personal connection between you as an individual and the principles of psychology in, in the form of, um, they used to call them touchstones, like um, something from your life that is just so memorable and it's symbolic of something and it represented to you the first time you knew that you were attractive let's say to women or it represented the first time you really saw the world through the eyes of your own father Mm -hmm. because you had some experience that was similar to one he had had so it's very personalized to you as an individual but it also without actually publicly saying, seems to me to not try to bash your identity as being male or as being a man. It allows you to have man stories that you are a part of where they feel good to you and they feel like actual growth and they feel like achievement and improvement without you feeling like you somehow have to change your basic nature. What do you think, Jeremy? Well, I I love that summary, and I would say we're missing today that continuity and identity. So one of my passions is talking about the ways that our technological use can either enhance or disintegrate our identities, right? So we can be stretched so thin with different roles. And, you know, if someone is channeling a lot of their story into gaming or into other hobbies, that's that can be fine. It can be a great hand-eye coordination effort, and you can be a champion in a game and get notoriety and respect that way. But you can also lose touch and what we can say, lose the plot. And that's a fun cliche, meaning you're missing the point. But actually, quite literally, if you lose the plot in your own life, right, you're left without a tether, without an anchor. And so we have yes. a very ad- disintegrated culture now, especially for for men, where you're not quite sure your identity, you're not quite sure what your role is. And so this is a good reason for that, where you connect to, as you said, touched on memories. One thing I want to hit on is in EMDR therapy, which as listeners will know from before, but I'll quickly describe is a therapy where you desensitize anxiety triggers and flashbacks. We look for touchstone negative memories that gave that set in motion the narrative that they're unsafe or that they're responsible for whatever happened or that they have no control. And so we work from those and we collect like a negative identity script. And so I like that this is looking at, okay, how can we look at different rites of passage that you went through and positive touchstones and anchor points that essentially help us to reboot your identity in incorporating these wonderful moments like i think michael white who was a big narrative therapist founder would say like sterling moments or things like that where they're highlights of your story um and instead of dumping all of your story mental energy into comics or or movies which by the way i think can be great i think movies are awesome but you're essentially helping someone to be as interested in their own masculinity vital life force vitality passion what have you as a a movie character like let's build your story let's look at your masculinity 
and determine what points can charge that up for you to build on that narrative and keep writing new chapters. I I love that. It it, it occurred to me that as I was describing this CAT that if if part of their model and their method is they start with the, your story as you think it was, and we're going to relook at it and not refabricate it, but make it more true, more the real yeah. you. That sounds like what trauma treatment does. Trauma therapy takes some terrible event that gave you negative self-cognitions that you're bad or you're weak or you're some terrible thing, and it releases the terrible emotions, and then what's left is the real you, and it turns out that's yes. very positive, positive self-cognitions. It sounds similar. It's very similar, and it links back to our last episode about positive psychology. In the therapeutic world, there's no way around it. We have to focus on both treating negative symptoms and underlying three times, building competencies and resilience, because you have nowhere to go but forward in the therapy office. We literally have to do that. Time unfolds that way. That's the only way we live. And so with the EMDR therapy, you're moving forward through the triggers through the pain, creating new meaning, new rites of passage, new moments and markers of your competencies. And cognitive analytic therapy, you're doing much the same, albeit verbally and not through the eye movement, all that stuff. But there's so much richness in this and getting people back in touch with their values. If we could pull on acceptance and commitment therapy, we won't, we won't go down that road. But there's, there's such a, and, and all these weeks we've been doing these, there are some real themes coming up. And one of them is developing your values. Like, what do you take pride in? Is it your speaking ability? Is it your ability to play sports? Like, what are these things we can do to amplify, to turn up the volume of your um, attributes that masculinity is, that vitality is charging? How can we turn up that volume and have you live that more? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Amplify your strengths and um, attend to your weaknesses too. I, you know, one thing that I notice um, is unique about cognitive analytic therapy, it stood out to me, is that it goes through every past enactment that you have yes. had. And the general public doesn't know what an enactment is. Some therapists don't even know. Uh, it's from psychoanalysis, and it's where some crazy thing happens. And nobody knows where it's coming from. Even the psychoanalyst doesn't know where it's coming from, or it could be coming from them. Mm -hmm. And it's where somebody's not at the steering wheel of what's going mm -hmm. on interpersonally between you two, between you and a therapist, or more commonly, and in a healing fashion, between you and a woman, some woman in your life. Mm -hmm. um, maybe before a breakup, you had a discussion, it was harmless and tame, and then all of a sudden it exploded into this drama. And to this day, yes. you don't know what you did, and you felt like it was your fault, and you shouldn't have said something that was upsetting to her, and you don't know why it was upsetting to her. That was an enactment. It's where you couldn't keep your cool and keep the physiology contained and low enough to really share emotions and have empathy for each right. other. And it just, things got out of control. What's your take on yeah, that? Yeah, so it's rooted in earlier experiences, right? You're reenacting some sort of unresolved incident. So for men with avoidant tendencies, it could be that an argument leads them to retreat. And this is very common, right? With avoidant attachment that you retreat from the pain of uh, the temporary pain of a disagreement, you know, to your room or you leave or whatever, because you think that means I can't trust this person. The relationship's going to end. I need to protect myself before it ends. And so it comes off to the other person, though, in the enactment as like bizarre because they don't understand. They might know your history after you tell them. But if they are experiencing this the first time and don't know why you're doing that, it seems very disproportionate to the conflict or the discussion. Like right. with the if a client leaves therapy and ghosts the therapist right after getting to some really important content, we therapists are trained enough to know, ah, we got too deep and they're uncomfortable. But in personal life, those kind of enactments can hit as very, as you said, it, it doesn't register the other person what's going on. And then the other, the party that, that initiates that enactment can feel afterward like, ah, 
something came over me. What was that? It's like, well, it was your earlier narrative and your earlier experiences yes. in that are playing out now. That's yeah. That I mean, in, in normal person language, not that you're not normal, but I'm, I'm explaining it to myself or what I would say to patients. I'd say something in your life where you felt crazy and you knew that it was overkill, your response to something, or someone else started acting really bizarre. And to this day, yeah. it hurts that it happened, but you don't know why it happened. That, right. that, and, and I like thinking more recently and learning more and more about Gottman, relationship therapy, yeah. couples counseling, that really what's going on in couples that, that are you know headed downhill fast is, one person's trauma is talking to another person's trauma and it isn't the two real people talking to each other. Trauma talking right. to trauma, you know, right. You can almost see a lot of things through the lens of trauma and the Damn. big authors these days, like John, Dr. John Barry and uh, Martin Seeger and Louise Lydon um, call, call us our attention to the fact that, any they say any male you see in a therapy office you should assume they have PTSD or at least they have trauma mm. unprocessed trauma right because we we naturally have the stoicism instinct to not not express emotion publicly or in a therapist's office usually and so it it gets unprocessed we collect traumas over the lifetime so all males have a lot of trauma so this is one way of dealing with that, the cognitive analytic therapy. Um, there's yes. a study that lists some male characteristics that are respected in this therapy. Um, sep we separate intellect from feelings. We want to make intellectual decisions, not decisions based on feelings. Express anger, but we repress other emotions. We shut off the vulnerable side, the more emotional parts of ourselves. And rightfully so. That's the Hades instinct that I talk about. Hades was the god of the underworld and of privacy, the private underworld of our, un our unconscious thoughts, our private thoughts belong to us. Nobody has access to Hades and to the underworld. Rightfully so. Uh, we experience feelings of shame, but we deny the actual experiences outwardly. That's the mm -hmm. third instinct discovered by Barry and Seeger. Um, the Hades instinct, once again, we act less empathically toward others. Well, we are action oriented. So first we act, then we feel, whereas mm -hmm. females feel, then they act. If you had to generalize, um, we criticize ourselves harshly in Freudian terms. We have an overactive superego. We mm -hmm. tend toward perfectionistic behaviors with self and others compared to women. And we find it difficult when faced with actual losses like bereavements to actually acknowledge the losses. All of these mm. are explainable by masculine instincts. And so I, th I think we're seeing over the next 10 years a, a convergence of these theories that don't quite out outright say, yes, masculinity is real and femininity is real. And there are masculine, feminine, biologically determined instincts. Nobody wants to say that because the sociologists don't like it, but it's the truth. And these theories and models are kind of finding their way to more curative methods that are going to be mm -hmm. difficult, to, difficult to argue with or reject that the, the underlying work, working parts are that they help masculine instincts to mm -hmm. A, get expressed, B, not get stuffed and stifled by either right. a social environment or by specific loved ones, uh, like a woman that you love, and see mm -hmm. actually the instincts expression and use through a solid, masculine, mature character structure, a goodness, a character virtue, male, a good male, a good man, these instincts could get channeled and used out in society to help pitch in to build society instead of seeing it deteriorate. That's what's needed. And that's what all of these therapies lead to. If there's a convergence point, that's where they all head to. Jungianism, evolutionary psychology, 
CAT and what we're going to cover next, which is CFT, compassion focused therapy. Yes. What do you think, Jeremy? I think, well, I love this really uh, grocery list, I could say, of <laughs> that men deal with from the, the Pollock 1998 study that you're quite, which I think that's still, I think that stuff continues on. Um, you quote some one earlier here, Travers from, from 2011. I think um, looking at that perfectionism element is going to serve us well for this next therapy that we're going to address. I mean, I've had so many male clients whose identity hinges on what they do. And then when things out of their control, like a layoff and economic hardship, um, which they didn't ask for and it wasn't personal. When these other, when these kind of blocks rise up against competency and ambition, and, and you could call it that libido or life force masculinity, it knocks them because they have such investment in that, in that, in their competency. But that's not the issue, right? Investment in competency is great as a as a as a value and a trait, but investment in that job, and I think that's why when you say uh, men, yes, men, because you can't always, it can't be to the one job. You cannot be attached to the one thing, it has to be your ability to get that thing. The fact that you were smart enough to get that job and that you did it well, and then if you get laid off, well, you can do it again, right? That's that's really an element. And so I think when talking about cognitive analytic theory, the therapy, the fact that the the um, there's an el there's elements here that respect that masculinity and, that, and um, the capacity to build something and focus on your traits, right? Not just what you have. That, that runs across therapies. You're talking about the different factors that are going through all these therapies that are masculine friendly. And I think that ability to be proud of your, of your life force energy, but recognize that what you invested in may change or dissipate or change form, um, that will help prevent some of that trauma. Because when we talk about trauma in men, it may be from a perceived failure for seeing that you failed something when you couldn't have succeeded at all, given the, the equation, right? It's like trying to balance an equation with a remainder. Um, that's, that's my view on it is there's so much trauma and with, with men as well, because there's that element of utter collapse. If the thing that, if what you acquired disappears, even if it wasn't your fault, right? There's that massive yeah, shame. Yeah. There's the, you know, where's, where's the dividing line between who you are and how, who you are is embodied in your works. Yes. Like I, I often have talked to people about um, defining the word passion, how the, yes. the word passion is a synonym for, for males, a synonym for masculinity, for females, it's a synonym for femininity. And how right. the word passion throughout history has only been used in one of two ways. It's either been used to refer to reproduction, to sex, mm -hmm. a passionate sex life or passionate relationship, or it's been used to apply to life and death situations like crimes of passion or the yes. passion of the Christ was not a love story. It was the story of a death. So it's about right. death versus life or survival. Right. So guess what? The word passion uniquely in all human language codes to Darwin's twin directives of our genes, survive and reproduce. Right. That's how I know right. the word passion. That, that's how I define, help define what is masculinity and what is femininity. Clearly, the right. evolutionary psychologists have a role in this and Darwin in the sense mm -hmm. that at this basic level, it's about surviving and reproducing. And yet males and females have different, quote, mating strategies built into their right. psychology, according to the evolutionary psychologist. But they also have different value systems for a felt sense of surviving. Whereas, right. well, this takes us to compassion-focused therapy, where the old... Um, the old description of what is the core essence of a man and a woman. And they'll say women tend and befriend. That's their, that's their um, survival instinct at work. They they're social animals. They, the connectedness to others is what matters and, and makes you feel safe and, right. and viable, viable. Um, even yeah. uh, psycho psycholinguist Deborah Tannen says, 
the worst thing a little boy could do to another little boy would be to one-up him, to defeat mm -hmm. him in a fight. But the worst thing a little girl could do to another little girl is to banish her yes. from, the, from her secrets. You're banished mm -hmm. from my little world, my social world. So that right. speaks to the core survival threat to males and to females, which then has a deep impact of what does CFT treat? Shame. It, it has an impact on shame. And shame is felt different by men than it is generally by women. By men, mm -hmm. shame is felt as that which diminishes the specific masculine instincts. For women, shame is that which is felt as diminishing specific feminine instincts. So like banishment is the worst shame to women, such as in the, no the famous novel, The Scarlet Letter, Hester Prynne yes. is banished from the, from the village. The worst thing that can happen to males is being brought down in the hierarchy five or mm -hmm. 10 pegs or 12 pegs. And that's what job loss does. And not only that, what the body is to women through the, what I call the Aphrodite instinct, the work is to men. What mm -hmm. the body is to women, work is to men. It's where we get phrases like my body of work or my right. passion, my passion project. So, so males, I, I, the reason I'm going on this giant into the weeds riff, Jeremy, is that what you just said is, I think is definitely true that I've often said to clients that have had some major lo external loss, like a job or a relationship or something, say a job where the man feels like, well, they took my money away. The divorce took all my money away. The job took my title away. All this has mm -hmm. been taken away from me. And it all translates to knock down in the hierarchy of yes. climbing, climbing a ladder of who am I and, and what should I be doing with my efforts based on yes. my hierarchy. And what I tell them is the same thing that, that it sounds like you were saying. I tell them, well, you have your degree. Now that you have yeah. your degree, can they take your degree away? Well, maybe they can. Okay, well, say they could take your actual degree away. Can they take away your knowledge that you learned in that degree? No, they cannot. It's like Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. They could not take my thoughts away. Even the Nazis right. couldn't take my thoughts away. So there's, right. there's, a, there's a you-ness to you mm -hmm. that, Jeremy, I think you're, you're pointing them toward when they have an external loss. But yes. I'm also saying that the external loss is also an embodiment of their masculine efforts in the yes. same way a literal baby is also the body of the woman. It's not quite the body of the woman anymore. Now that it's born, the baby is born, but it'll always be, to her mind, part of the body of the woman too, her baby. Our I'm babies following you. are our work. Right. Our babies are our work. And I think one of the key elements here that you're really hitting on is when, when a couple gets together, a heterosexual couple, and you have like a father who is disconnected from his child and a, or a wife who is disconnected from her husband and what he does and his passions, things go awry. Things go wrong. Because both of them have to respect. And I mean, and you have different arrangements, right? Like it's not all stay at home mom, raising child and, and father providing. That was kind of the archetypal model. But I yeah. think when we look at male, we look at masculine vitality and what, so the, the opposite of shame would be you're very vital, right? You're potent. And you can look at the, the words we use that are associated with masculine shame, like impotence, impotence, we pronounce it yes. typically, comes yeah. to mind. Well, what does that mean? Well, when, it, when we're talking literally, when we're talking textbook, we're talking about an inability to act or perform. And so that's ultimately very shameful for men. And we know other ways that that's shameful. But if we're looking at their role, if they feel that they've been blocked 
in their efforts or, an, or something was taken away that was the fruit of their effort, what is the response there? Well, often it's initially anger, great anger, which is with men, a negative emotion that comes up quickly. And you can look at the role of testosterone. You can look at the role of socialization. You can look at all of it together, biology, whatever. I think of whatever. it as rage. I think of it yes. specifically as rage, that rage yes. is not just amplified anger because anyone oh. can have anger. A man or a yeah. woman can have anger. Absolutely. way beyond anger, maybe fueled by anger, and yet different yeah. from it is rage, which I think is the flip side of the coin of shame. I think yes. the exact amount of, in fact, the story of Medusa in the ancient Greek texts teach us about shame in females. Medusa right. was a beautiful young woman who was raped by Poseidon and then, and then was devastated and, and, and turned into a monster. And the only right. uh, solace given her by Athena, who sadly was not there to stop this assault, because it was in right. the temple of Athena. Athena's consolation prize was to give her the ability to turn men to stone forever. And, and right. then she was elevated to, to godlike immortal status from this, but it was in this monstrous form. So that's feminine right. shame. So shame mm -hmm. is way more than an upsetting event uh, in, in our lexicon. Shame is like being murdered, at least right. a little. Part of you I, is killed or murdered. And I, your yeah. identity, right? Your identity is you know yeah, your very core dignity. Your dignity, the words like humiliation, to be humiliated is way more than to be embarrassed. It's yes. embarrassed to the identity core where some identity has been, has died yes. yeah. in you. Yeah. You know? And I love that story because I think it shows that Medusa then was gifted this ability to keep people away and never suffer bodily harm again, but at the cost of alienation and bitterness, right? Yeah. So, and that's often what happens. And why wouldn't people be? Like, I like to first validate and say, no wonder if people have been through intense trauma, that they respond by shutting everything down, going away, retreating. You would call it the Hades instinct, going into the Batcave, whatever. Like, of course. It takes work to get out of that and to then know who to trust again. Trust is something that yeah. needs to be earned in all cases. So I don't want to derail you too much yeah. from this. I, I from, mean, there's all kinds of CFT because uh, we've got so much many more tales good points we could get about into, it, like about the story of Perseus. Yeah. Perseus fighting Medusa. There's a lesson for males in that, not just in how to conduct yourself against a super narcissistic aggressor, but how to be in a relationship with a shamed woman. And all women have some, mm. right? At least over their bodies or their weight or something about themselves. They all have some kind of shame. So there's a secret message in the story of Medusa for males in a, in a relationship or a marriage where the woman has shame from somewhere, not you, perhaps you sometimes, but really not you most of the time. Um, and it comes mm -hmm. from somewhere, but it, it, it's, its twin flip side is rage. So there's right. going to be rage that comes out yeah. in your relationship and you're going to be like, what, what did I do? I didn't do this. I didn't cause this. Nah. And you didn't. That's <clears throat> but Perseus has the shield of Athena and mm -hmm. the shield of Athena is a boundary. It's a perfect boundary that bounces off the rage and mm -hmm. where he doesn't have to look directly at her in the eye. He can right. see her reflection in his boundary in how right. she is venting the rage. So if you want to be a, a hero in your marriage, you learn to be so strong as a man that you let your wife have rage until she calms down and then you give her a hug. Mm -hmm. And and you remind her you aren't the source of it, but you will help her with it. Right. That's right. a little Perseus story. Well, this compassion-focused therapy then the, the essence of it, and you can, you can go study this more and learn far more. The idea is that there are a combination of evolutionary psychology attachment theory once again, but mm -hmm. combined with a compassion by the therapist, a sensitivity to the suffering of self and others and commit to alleviating it. It has two pillars, the ability to run toward pain and distress to alleviate it and not deny it. That to me sounds like initiation of young men 
to have courage yeah. to go face the bear, face the tiger that's imaginary anyway, but face your fear right. and defeat it. Very masculine. And then the development of insight and wisdom in order to alleviate suffering. So what did I learn from my traumas? So yes. again, it's kind of like trauma treatment, only it's codified in this, in this beautiful way. And it, what it looks at in this, how do you get a guy to be willing to go face his fears? He'd rather mm -hmm. just sit in his apartment and talk to you on Zoom than right. go out there and do that thing he's afraid to do. Well, they have three affect regulation system systems and what they call the three circles model of emotion. One is threat, the threat and self-protection focus system, how to get a guy to calm down from feeling so threatened that he wants to just run away. Number two, right. drive-seeking and acquisition focus systems. That's like the pleasure principle, like going after what you desire. Well, right. to me, that sounds like masculine instincts right there. Your mm -hmm. drive-seeking and acquisition-focused systems. What? Who are you in the world? What are you here? What are you here to do, and to contribute? You get great pleasure out of giving, of who you are as a man. And then, thirdly, the soothing and affiliative-focused system. So this is more mm -hmm. like oxytocin and hugging your girlfriend or wife, and the, the calming oxytocin-like bonding principle is the third system right. that they focus on. And these therapists have specific phrases they say and, and uh, tools that they use to calm down the, the threat system and encourage and allow and honor the drive-seeking system and mm -hmm. encourage the soothing and affiliative, the, the friendship system. Three modes of helping this this overly freaked out guy that has to change and needs to face some fears and learn some wisdom in the process that all with compassion, not with yep. scolding or you're, you're, you're a bad boy. You're a naughty boy, but with compassion for what it's like to be cowering in a corner when, when, and harshly self-criticizing yourself as you cower in a corner at what life has presented you. I just love the film Wanted with James McAvoy and Angelina Jolie to express this uh these modalities. It's it's the story of uh basically the Oedipus. Um it's the initiation of a boy into a man and it, right. it attends to all three of these uh these uh emotion regulation systems. Because Wesley, um, I forget his last name, but his name's Wesley in the in the film Wanted. Um, mm. James Ma James McAvoy's character goes from panic attack ridden Xanax popping kid being bullied in an office and cheated on by a girlfriend to a real man. Only they use the device of he actually learns to become an actual assassin. But that's mm -hmm. just symbolic of. Be, uh, developing the killer instinct as an adult man, going after goals and succeeding. Right. The killer, the killer instinct, the Aries right. instinct. Um, like we say, the the word, uh, the words, uh, making a killing. It doesn't literally mm -hmm. mean killing. It means making a lot of money. It means succeeding right. at something, succeeding at a goal, or killing the ball. If we're killing mm -hmm. the baseball, or you just watch the Super Bowl, you know. Mm. you know killing the uh you know doing a sack um or interception mm. you're killing it you're not literally killing somebody you're you're succeeding so men right. are driven by needing to succeed and they feel a lot of shame and um and self-loathing when external mm -hmm. circumstances have produced a, a loss yes so Absolutely. You have read one of the, the in, information here on CFT. What what have you, um, you know, come to conclude, Jeremy, about well, CFT? 
it reminds me so the action systems uh, aka the affect regulation systems remind me a lot of polyvagal theory where you have that that oh, largest yeah. cranial nerve in the body the vagus nerve and uh spelled v-a-g-u-s and not like las vegas um you have you can have that the ventral vagal responses right you can have the sympathetic nervous response that's triggered by that a fight or flight and you can have that that other we call that the myelinated ventral vagal response of social engagement of moving toward and trying to mend and fix and let's talk this out and wait a minute let's not act harshly which is kind of a good gold standard when it comes to any relational stuff whether it's with your boss your friends your girlfriend um and that self-protection system uh can also look like a collapse sometimes in a negative way it can be that dorsal vagal um dissociating like the, what, what this keeps going back to is attachment stuff for me as we talked about earlier yeah. where yeah. if you're a young male child and you learn that you can't escape problems and you know either through abuse um and that you can't fight or flee because you can't do either of those as a kid you learn to give up and to throw in the towel and to collapse and maybe even dissociate and so part of this is going to be looking at the fact that as a teen, a late teen, especially who can drive or a young adult or an adult from those phases onward, you have different options, right? So the role of compassion of telling yourself and finding people who also are trustworthy and can remind you like, I've got this, I can get through it, I can get out of that threat and self protective system, which by the way, can be very paradoxically self detrimental. So it can have the opposite effect, you protect yourself from things by staying home and quarantining too much from life and you end up missing opportunity and you neglect the drive seeking and acquisition system and you don't build a life because that system is where you build a life it's action focused so if you're out of the game another metaphor there that we often use for too oh, yeah. long you don't develop the ability you, you don't develop your identity because we do develop through what we do and who we interact with and so i i yeah. take it as that threat and self-protection system is really something that we have to fine tune to where it's not active as much if you're living a safe life. Now, if you're in the military or law enforcement or you're a peak performance athlete, then you're probably going to be in that quick response system more. And so you can adapt therapy without so many things to do. But often it's that, and those can overlap. Like when you notice a threat and you need to go make a run, you need to reach the touchdown, that overlaps with that drive seeking, right? Because you're moving toward the yeah. problem. But I think this, yeah. like, but you a, are avoiding a, huge, a real threat too. Right. right. Yes, so there, you are, you know, a, a professor once told me the brain is always trying to help. Sometimes it gets things wrong, but it's trying to help. So, okay. So, yes. the, so the, the, the the fear the anxiety overwhelm um the threat system yeah. does have a purpose it's yeah. just that it's it's not constant all the time for us today we we don't have bears chasing us constantly anymore right. however somebody may try to get in a fist fight with us in which case we do yeah. need to evade that right that's real but yeah. for that to and you happen can... in a love relationship doesn't make sense right it's it's getting triggered by some other thing from the past. It goes back yeah. to attachment trauma in a way. It does. Everything goes back yeah. to trauma, really, in ways. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it depends on the definition of it. I mean, development, human development is traumatic in ways. And I wouldn't, I mean, I, that needs context. I mean, when you, like, so children, infants onward up until like whatever age you want to uh, stop on is and define it are, are somewhat we could say solipsistic, right? To them, the only thing that exists is themselves. And when they cry, parents come. And so they're very limited and believe that the world revolves around them. And then, so you have to introduce that element of no, it actually doesn't. And that can be a form of loss. And then you go, oh, you can continue to develop onward and recognize certain things like oh, my, my parents have to share their attention with siblings or everyone I like. Um, might not necessarily feel the same. For some people, that's a tough pill to swallow, right? Like you can look at all these little micro traumas, you could call them, or you could call them just disappointments. And that how are they accumulating? How are you metabolizing them? Are they clotting mm. like a clot that could stop your heart? Is it, what, what are we doing with that? Um, so young boys can really, in, in growing into teens and young men, have to be aware, like, what is your narrative around performance? Do you 
have do you value your identity again a theme here or do you value what you achieve only because if you don't value achievement if you don't value achievements at all you're kind of in for a rude awakening because you build identity through doing things but if you only value your achievements you're yeah. you're going collapse when one thing one block on your precarious tower falls off then the whole thing wipes uh, it's like dies. So, so so you it, need the affiliate system for that you need friends you do. You do. right you do and that's it's the funny you mentioned, that is a huge topic because men now studies have shown that there are massive numbers of men who don't have any close friendships i think there's many reasons yes. for that i think one of the downsides and this could be a whole other podcast so i'll limit it but yeah one of the downsides yeah masculine drives is it's very and this is okay so in the past competitive and affiliative impulses were very related where you kind of compete with your bros and your bond your those bonds have a little playful ribbing but you're still in it in the trenches with each other and i think we've lost a lot of that where men maybe they'll get on online dating to meet a mate and that's where they put their vitality but are they channeling their vitality into mutually accountable productive friendships among each other. Not as much possibly. No, and we know that no. statistics. And so we're missing the masculine. We're getting that masculine oh, drive yeah. narrow level of yeah. charisma maybe and trying to meet a mate, but you need it surrounding you with uh fellowship. And we just don't we don't hear that. And it's not well now we are, but that it's reached a point where now we yeah. need to do it would have been good to do more preventative work in this field. Uh, now we have to do some remediative work where we're telling yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. Do we we yeah. ought to do a talk on on men's loneliness and despair. We it will. was only yesterday. I I saw uh, Rob Henderson was talking about the stats in the U.S. are twenty percent of males in the U.S. have not one friend. Twenty twenty percent. Right. Right. I mean, yes, and it's eighty eighty percent of the suicides. And I, I think a, yeah. the quick study to why is males don't directly share, tend, and befriend. We don't spill right. our emotions to other males very quickly. Right. But what we do right. do is look alongside them at some event that welcomes us and is yes. for us, like the yes. Super Bowl used to be. Yeah. That's where we make sort of lateral friendships without directly emoting, at least at sure. first. And so it's right. a sociology-caused problem.